All right. Um, you know, last week we did Haggai chapter one. This week we're going to do Haggai chapter two. Going to start turning there, finding it in your Bible. It's somewhere right before the New Testament begins. So about three quarters of the way to your Bible. And we're going to actually finish up Haggai chapter two. And, um, you know, last week the, the sermon title was like refocus. So have you done that? Had many people come up to me and, uh, you know, after the sermon and, you know, and I even got a few phone calls and some text messages just said, hey, you know, I, I really needed to refocus. And every now and then that's kind of that's just what we need. Right. It doesn't matter where you're at, uh, who you are, how long you've been a Christian, whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian. Like every now and then that's just what you need. Right. You just need to like, I got to get back on track. I need to refocus. And, um, you know, I'm going to share a little bit like from Haggai chapter one, like what we talked about last week was, you know, that there's this people, there's this group of people, they've come, been come, they've come back from exile, but they started building the temple of God, but then they stopped. And God was trying to get their attention. You know, the Bible says that, you know, he, he cursed their land. He started blowing away all their, you know, like blowing away, like all the seed. He like, you know, put, made their pockets had holes in them. Like, you know, Hey, like, you're working hard, but you're not really getting anywhere. And, um, you know, he caused a drought. There was no crops. There was no harvest. You know, and, and God's like, do you guys know why? Well, it's because you're focused on yourselves. You're focused on building up your house while my house, I mean, look at it. It lays in ruin. It's not being built up. You know, he says, I, I did that so I could get your attention. And I don't know about you guys. You know, we talked about it last week where sometimes that's just what God does. God's like getting our attention. And he's saying, hey, I need you to refocus. Tells them to switch their focus. And that's, and that's what they did. They, 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 they switched their focus. They started building the house of God. They, they got back on, uh, you know, on God's good side, so to speak. And they, they really focused on doing the right thing for him. And, uh, you know, and, and they, they dropped their own plans. They had, headed to the mountains, chopped down some wood and started building his temple. And they refocused. They repented. Have you done that? Did you do that this past week? Did you say, man, here's where I need to refocus. Now, Haggai chapter two comes in and, and this I was really excited to teach because this is the one that I think really hits home for us. Because Haggai chapter two comes because now they've been working a little while. They refocused. They got back on track, but things just aren't really getting better for them. The crops aren't growing. The harvest didn't come in. And, you know, and I think this is kind of how it can be for us, you know, where, you know, some of us, you know, we have, you know, some of us here in this room where we're like, man, I made these choices for God. I've given God my everything. I, I, I stopped doing I stopped doing what I wanted and I really focused on God um, I started to work things out with my spouse or I started to be better parent to my kids or I, I really focused in school or I decided I'm going to get honest in business and it's just not getting better. Anybody relate to that? You know, and it was just like we need to hear. I think we need to hear this message. Haggai chapter two, verse one. We're going to uh, start there just to kind of set it up. And the title of the sermon uh, if you see a guy with the, 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 the three question marks, is three important questions that we need to ask ourselves that we can learn from Haggai chapter 2. And in first, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, In the second year of King Darius, on the 20th 
On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. In other words, about a month after Haggai chapter 1. Amen? About a month after. It says, Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Now, we got to set the stage before we can ask the first question. Um, these people, they've been, like I said, they've been working for four weeks. Building the temple. Things aren't really getting better. And this date that, that, that Haggai gives us, this is actually like day seven of the Feast of the Tabernacles. And the Feast of the Tabernacles represented two things. Um, the, but the second thing that the feast representative was kind of like this harvest festival for the Jews where they would, they, you know, they, they look at their harvest and they kind of bring it before the Lord and they thank God for all that God had given them. And, you know, but again, remember God was making it hard on them. There had been droughts because they weren't focused on him. And, and so they come to this harvest festival, harvest festival with like a couple carrots you know, and like some parsley and, you know, some cilantro. You know, they can make a few tacos and that's all they got, really. You know what I mean? And it's like, so, so you got that, like that, that's kind of what they show up to, to, you know, this harvest festival with. That's what's happening here if you really go down into the history. And so they've been working hard for four weeks and, you know, really don't have much to show for it. And then you get this, is like, do you remember the house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? You know, if you go back and read in Ezra, like we, we talked about all this last week, Ezra chapter 3, verse 10, it says they started building it. And, and those that had um, seen the temple before it got destroyed, you know, and it was like 70 years had passed. And so it was all the, the older people in the, in, the, in the group at that time. They had seen the temple before and they're looking at they're, They know what they had seen, that old temple. And they're looking at this new temple and they're like, this is nothing. It's tiny. You know, and so in Ezra three, verse 10, when they set the foundation, it says there's loud praising and then there's also loud crying. And you couldn't tell the difference. And that's kind of how it was. So they've been working for four weeks. They don't have anything to eat, don't have anything really to show for this harvest time. You got old men everywhere dogging out the plans, dogging out the temple. You know, they're like, come on, guys. I mean, back in my day, you guys know that, you know, you ever said that? I started saying that recently and I'm like, I got to stop saying that. I hated when people said that to me back in my day. And I'm like, I don't care about your day. But that's what they're doing. They're looking, they're like, back in my day, man, you know, like, man, we had churches of thousands of tens of thousands. We walked uphill both ways in the snow with no shoes on. It was tough. You guys know what I'm talking about? So that's the setting of kind of where this message comes in. So they've dedicated themselves to God. And it's just not getting better. And so God gives them a pep talk. And this is God's pep talk to them. Verse 4. It says, but now be strong. Zerubbabel declares the Lord, be strong, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. 
and work, for I am with you. This is what I coveted with you, covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains, a, remains among you. Do not fear. Okay, so we've been going through this difficult time, and God's message is, be strong. Just suck it up. Work harder. You know, and sometimes that's, the, that's what we hear, right? We hear, well, just push. Just push through. And there's something else that's in here, and, you know, and he repeats it. You know, he says it in chapter 1. He says it here. He says it all through the Bible. And this is the question that I want to ask. Is God enough? Because he says, hey, be strong, work. I am with you. Then verse 5, he says, this is, that's what I covenanted with you. That was my promise to you, that I am going to be with you. My spirit will remain among you. Do not fear. My question is, is God enough? You look at John chapter 15, when Jesus, right before he goes to the cross, he tells his disciples, hey, what do you get for remaining in me? What, is it, what do they get? Well, I'll remain in you. In Matthew 28, we read this last week, he says, hey, when you focus on making disciples, when you, go, when you focus on reaching a lost world and baptizing, you know, what's going to happen? Well, I'm going to be with you. I think we have to understand something, that God's promise to you and I is God. God's promise to us, he, he says, I am the reward. The question we've got to ask ourselves is, is that enough? Is that enough? You know, I think so many times we want something a little more concrete than God's promise. And I'd ask the question, what's more concrete than a promise of God? He says, what you get is I am with you. My spirit is with you. I, you know, and, and I think sometimes that's what we ask. We ask for more than God. You know, we say stuff like, you know, I re- okay, I, I understand, you know, when I follow you, I get God, but, you know, and I get, I get a relationship with the creator of the entire universe, but, but what else do I get? You know what I mean? It's like Snickers satisfies. God doesn't. And that's how we view it sometimes. You all know what I mean? It's like, and the question is, is, is God enough? I hear people say stuff like this, and, I, and, I've, and I've been here myself. Where it's like, I know I haven't been living right. I know my family's in disarray. So what I did, I started following God. I repented. I got my life on track. Anybody here been there? Where you look at your life situation and you're like, I changed. I'm trying to get back on track. That's what happened to these people. They start, they're like, okay, we're getting on track. It's been, it's been a month and we're, we're getting on back on track and we're building the temple. You know, and that's how it is. You know, I've repented and, you know, my question, will my family get better, though? I've repented, God. Will my, will, will my kids turn to you? I've repented, God. Will, my, will my, my spouse and I, will we get back together? Or are we going to be able to reconcile? I've repented, God. Is, are things going to change at my job now? I've repented, God. Am I going to do better in my schoolwork? 
I wish I could say yes, but those promises just aren't in the Bible. God said, I am with you. I don't know if all those things are going to get better, but guess what? God's with you. Is that enough? You know, we say this, God, God's failed me. I started living right and I charged, started changing the things, but I, don't, I still haven't got what I wanted. Or I can't put my family back together. I'm still in debt. You know, hey God, I, started, I stopped doing drugs. I started following you and I still haven't got the girlfriend that I wanted. And bro, you might not ever get a girlfriend with that attitude. There is not a promise of all these earthly blessings. There's not a promise that things will get easier when we start following God. As a matter of fact, it's actually kind of the opposite. God says, I am with you. Is that enough? Is that enough for us? That's the promise. The thing is, is what, what I've learned in my life and what I've seen even in uh, people's lives here and in uh, other places in the world, is like when you get to this place where God is enough, then he says, oh, now, now I'm going to sprinkle in a little extra. That's just how he works. But he needs us to get to this place of he's enough. He's all I need. If I don't get anything else, I still have him. If none of those other things get better, I still have him. You know, and truth is, you know, our God loves to go above and beyond, right? You know, we're going to talk about that at the end. We're going to actually, and that's kind of the, the next question or the, the last question that I'm going to ask. But the first question I just put before the church is, is God enough? And listen, if we're here, if you're here for any other reason, I just want you to stop and ask, why isn't God enough for me? God has to be enough. And when he's enough, then things can start taking off. So that's kind of like the first thing that we have to learn. And I think that we can learn from Haggai chapter 2. <clears throat> so we're going to keep on reading. We're going to be in, we're going to skip verse 6 through 9. I'm going to come back because that kind of fits in with the very last part too. Just about kind of what happens when God's enough, really. And then we're going to be at verse 10 through 19. It says, on the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. So, okay, so this is about three months later. So what we just read was uh, about a month later. Now, this is about three months later. And uh, they've been working hard on the temple, continued to work hard on the temple. Actually, the temple is almost built by this time. And so here's the message. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? And the priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied. It becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people. And with this nation, in my sight, declares the Lord, whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. 
When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of their hands with blight, with mildew, with hail. And yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. So we're going to just talk about this for a second. So it's about three months into it, and another message comes from God, and it's kind of like, okay, what's he talking about here? He's talking about consecrated meat and defiled meat. Like, what is all of this about? And, you know, and, and he says, and then he calls them defiled. Like, I dare you, God. You know, we've been working for three months. And it's kind of what he's telling them. He's saying, you remember the old law? You know, you're going to, this is some good stuff for you to go back and do personal Bible study. I'm not going to go into all of it. But in Leviticus and Numbers, when they're giving us the laws and, you know, they're giving us like uh, regulations when it comes to sacrifice or regulations when it comes to just living, you know, they would make sacrifices when they would sin. They would sacrifice an animal. You know, we don't have to do that anymore because of Jesus. But you would show up to the temple when people were sacrificing. If you just imagine this beautiful temple and there's like blood running down the side of the hill. I mean, and it's just a gruesome sight. And that's like, I think it probably helped people from a visual standpoint of like seeing their sin, you know, for really what it was. And they carry the meat, you know, and, and their garment. And it would be kind of like an apron, you know. But because that meat was touching their garment, it didn't make it unclean. As, as a matter of fact, it did, you know, it did make it made it uh, it didn't make it unclean. It stayed clean. But if that he says if that garment were to like somehow touch like this mic stand right here. Does this mic stand become holy? And really, it's like the answer was no. Like the holiness doesn't transfer from here to there. And he says, but what about if you touch somebody that's dead and then go touch something else? Does it transfer? And the answer was yes. And that's actually one of the um, things in the law, whereas if you touched a dead person, you pretty much got quarantined for seven days. Couldn't touch anybody or anything. And if you did that stuff automatically became defiled. And God said, so it is with these people. You remember? They've been planting. Nothing was happening. Harvesting, nothing happening. They've been working, and they're just putting money in their empty pockets or pockets with holes. And God's like, I'm not blessing this because you're not focused on the right thing. You know, when God gives us, you know, I think that, you know, I wanted to stop there for a second because I think that's an important thing for us to remember. Like, what's God really looking for? He's looking for us to repent. You know, when we've done something, we're, we're not just trying to, you know, we can't really make up for it with our actions. We don't think like, okay, I, I've sinned, so I need to just come to church or I've sinned, so let me give a lot of money. I've sinned, let me just sing really loud. Let me pray with my arms held a lot higher than normal. You know, let me do a lot of religious activity. And hopefully God forgives me of that stuff. And he's like, no, that's not how it works. You know, as a matter of fact, like, it's not just the Old Testament that teaches that. Jesus teaches the similar things. Like in, in uh, Matthew five twenty three, he says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar first and go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. You know, Jesus is like, if you've come here to give some sort of offering to God and you know that there's, you have 
you know, a, a quarrel between a brother and sister in Christ somewhere, go fix it. I don't want the offering. Go fix it first and then come and do the offering. Says it in 1 Peter 3, 7 to the husbands. He says, hey, husbands, treat your wives with respect. Be considerate of them so that nothing will hinder your prayers. What a convict. I got so convicted on that scripture this week. Because I was feeling stressed out. We had rush week this week. It's, uh, you know, with the college group and I was feeling stressed out and, and, you know, and I started getting sharp towards my wife and Lashana's was like, I feel like you've been sharp towards me. And I was preaching this sermon and I had picked out this scripture already and I'm like, oh, wow, I need to repent right now because I need God to hear my prayers. <laughs> I need to treat my wife with respect. You know, God says, you know, don't come in here after treating your wife horribly all week and expect me to hear your prayers it's just going to be like that like am radio that's out of tune it's just just out of tune like i don't even want to hear it you know what i mean it's it's funny but it's like i think that's how it is with god he's like no go go reconcile with your wife repent and then come and pray to me you know i was raised i grew up in a system that thinking if if i i can live however i want throughout the week all I have to do is go to church on Sundays and it'll make up for it. And this, you know, I got the leftover communion bread. And this is how I would act sometimes. It's like communion comes around and I'm like, I'm not going to break off a few. I need about five of, the, five of these because it's been that type of week. And, you know, you just start, you know, that, that's how it's felt. I'm not going to eat it right now because then I won't be able to talk. <clears throat> but that's how some of us get we're like, I got to make up for it. And God's like, no. No. I desire obedience rather than sacrifice. You know, there's no amount of prayers that you can pray over and over and over and over and over again. It is repentance from the heart. It is changing our ways. You know, and that's what he's saying is give careful thoughts. Give careful Thought, you know, everything you were touching, it was defiled. Everything, it wasn't working because you weren't repentant. But then in verse 18, he continued, you know, he continues on. This is one long thought. So I just had to stop and preach there for a second. You know, he says, from this day on. And he says the date again, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn until now? The vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. And he says, from this day on, I'll bless you. They've been working hard for three months. They've been focusing. And then God says, I know you've been working hard. I see your work, so I need you to write it down in your calendars. From this day on, I'm going to bless you. You know, and then, but he says, but if you forget, I want you to go back and check the storehouses. See how empty they are. You know, there is something powerful in remembering who you were before Christ. 
there's something powerful there. Where you look back and say, wow, that was empty. And I think that's why God tells them, like, I need you to write this one down. Remember this day. Because remember, up until this time, they've been working hard. It's been three months. God still hasn't changed. The, blessed, the, 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 the land was still barren at this time. They've been working hard, and he says, I want you to remember this day. And there's just something powerful for us. You know, i got a picture of an elephant, because what do they say about elephants? Elephants never forget. There's something about that where we just got to remember. Man, there, there was that time. Maybe it was last week for you. Maybe it was last month. Maybe it was five years ago or ten years ago. I know there's just a, you just got to remember. You know, I'm excited because... James is going to remember today. James is going to be like, okay, October 27th, 2007, I mean, excuse me, August 27th, 2017. I'm going to remember that day. This is the day that I decided to make the change of all changes. The day that I decided to get baptized. The day that I decided to, to, to say, man, God, you are enough. You know, some of us need to write that right today down. We say today is the day that I'm deciding to repent. Today is the day that I'm going to get back on track. You know what? Because I remember because I remember that empty feeling I felt last week. Because I remember that empty feeling I felt last year or 10 years ago. I know for me, I've had a number of those moments throughout my life. I got baptized November 23rd, 2008. And, and, and I still go back to that date and I still look at the, the moments that led up to that and I'm like, wow, like I, there is distinct memory of like why I made that decision, of the emptiness that I was feeling. And I needed to be reminded of that a few times. I remember like after getting baptized, like two weeks after getting baptized, I cussed somebody out. About three weeks after getting baptized, I drank too much a couple times. And I had somebody sit me down and they said, do you even remember what you, the decision you made? And I'm like, oh, I felt so bad. You know, so sometimes now I look back and say, I remember that. I remember giving my life to Christ and then going back on it a few weeks later. And we have those moments in our life where we remember, we're like, man, this is the day that I made that change. And that's what God is saying. I need you guys to write this down in your calendars. Remember this day. And, you know, and if you look at the, the calendar and kind of like what would have happened back then, if you really study it out, what's really cool is at this time would have also been approaching rainy season. Where they've done the celebration of the harvest but, the, you know, the, you know they're, they're looking at rainy season. But remember, God had given them a drought. Now, it doesn't tell us this, but I just like to think that, you know, God said, from this day, I'm going to bless you. And the next day, what happened? I think it rained. I think God said, watch this. You've been working hard for three months. I'm going to bless you. But I need you to remember. Go, and if you forget, go look in the storehouses because they're empty right now. Do you remember? Last question I think we've got to ask is, are you ready? 
Anybody watch the fight last night? Yeah. What's the did they? I didn't see it, but um, did they do the let's get ready to rumble? They didn't do that. Why not? Is that UFC? Is it only UFC? I thought they did it for boxing too. That's what I thought when I was asking this question. It's like, are you ready? You know. But anyways, that was a dud. Sorry, guys. Listen, when you, when you say God is enough and when you're at this place where you really remember and you've made that decision to change and you, you write that date down in your calendar, and you're like, this is the day. Listen, you better get ready because God's going to do some amazing things in your life. Okay, go back. We're going to read uh, Haggai 2, verse 6 through 9. And then we're going to read the end of it. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says in a little while. I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations. And what is desired by all nations will come. A lot of people think that's a prophecy of Jesus. Because he was the desired of nations, the Bible says. They will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. And then in chapter, and then verse 20, says, The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month, and he said, Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I'll overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall each by the sword of his brother. And on that day, declares the Lord, I will take you, my servant, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. He says, you got to get ready. You know, in verses 6 through 9, he says, hey, the, the, the glory of this house is going to actually be greater than the one that you're in. It's going to happen. you got to get ready. I know it doesn't look like much. I know, you know, it doesn't feel like much. But, you know, in five, and, and this happens 500 years later, because 500 years after this, what happens? Jesus enters the temple. He fills it with glory. Right before that, the temple had been built up, and it was humongous. I think it was Herod the Great that had built it up. And he says, hey, you got, guys, the, you, you don't even know yet, but you got to get ready because something amazing is going to happen. And then he tells Zerubbabel, he says, and by the way, I'm going to make you my signet ring. You know, and basically what that is, he says that that's like a, a signet ring is like what a king would have. He'd have this ring on his finger and it was like the royal authority, the royal stamp. So if they're going to, you know, if you're going to send messengers around and you uh, close the scroll and you had the, I don't know what it's called, but the little, little the what? The wax. You'd have the wax and you'd, you'd put the ring on it. And that, that ring was like a symbol of authority from this is from the king. And God said, I'm going to make you my signet ring. And really what he was doing, he was reestablishing the line of David. You know, and you can flip over a couple of pages to Matthew chapter 1. And what do you see? 
verse 12, it says, After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. And it goes on and it talks about um, Jacob, the father of Joseph, husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus. He says, get ready. Because I'm going to do something in your life. You're not even going to be alive when it's going to happen, but I'm going to do something in your life that's going to be so amazing, so powerful. You're going to be, I'm reestablishing the line of David. I'm putting you back on track, and you are going to be in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. And, the, and he's going to walk in, and he's going to fill that temple up, and it is going to be so glorious. You know, and for us, We have to remember that God has amazing plans for us. We can't outdream God. You know, I love this scripture in 1 Corinthians. He says, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. He's like, you have no idea what I have prepared for you. It is going to be so amazing. I know you have your dreams. I know you have your plans. But what's he say in Jeremiah 29? I have plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. If you seek me with all your heart, I will give you all those things. He's like, I've got plans for you guys. Plans to do some great things. Are you ready for it? Is God enough? Have you repented? You know, um, you know, I think about that and I like, you know, and if you're like me, you know, like I read this and I get fired up, but I'm also like, well, that's 500 years from now. (laughs) I mean, that's all good and great. But what if I told you guys, hey, I got great plans. We're going to buy a church building. And in 500 years, it's going to we're going to start building it. and It's going to be awesome. You guys be like, well, that's awesome. But, you know, like, okay. (laughs) You know, I think when we. Start, when we humble ourselves before God, God says, no, I'm going to bless you in this life too. You got to get ready because I've got some great things ahead of you. And I, I was uh, at my house having a discussion with one of our young men. And there's a picture of Josh with my son, Levi. He doesn't, he doesn't know how to say his J's yet. He says Asha. That's what he calls. Calls Josh. You know, when I think about this and I'm like, I would not imagine that I would be in this place in my life, you know, five years ago. I was actually sitting at my, uh, you know, Lonnie and Lavetta's my parents' house last night. You know, right, uh, we were celebrating our cousin Jordan's birthday. And, and Lonnie, you know, I'm holding my other son, Judah. And Lonnie's looking at me and he's saying, like, would you even imagine you'd be doing this right now? And I'm like, absolutely not. You know, and that's what I think what happened. That's what happens when we look at God and we say, like, God, you're enough. God says, now that you get that picture, now that you, you've got that straight, I'm going to take care of you. And when he says, when we ask him, when we ask the question, um, not, not only is God enough, do we remember, do we repent? But then God says, you've got to get ready. Because I'm going to bless you in ways that you couldn't even imagine. You know, when I'm sitting there and I'm looking at, like, I get to the opportunity to teach and train Josh and kind of raise Josh up. 
And Josh is out there just sitting down and my son is trying to imitate Josh. And I got a bunch of great pictures. This was the best one I could find. Where, you know, and, and it's just awesome to see that, like, man, like, we got to get ready. We got to make sure that God is enough. We got to remember where we came from, too. But then get ready because God's going to do some amazing things. It, it might be now for you. It might be with the next generation like this where it's just going to continue to carry through. And if you look at what happened here to, to, to Zerubbabel, he's like, man, like he is in the lineage of Jesus. Why? Because God was enough. Because he remembered because he put God first. You know, guys, I think God is going to do some amazing things. Are you ready? Are you ready to receive it? Are you excited about what he's going to do? I don't know what he's going to do. But I just know that he's going to do some amazing things to us. Thank you so much for letting me share. Guys, we're going to stand up and we're going to close in one final song.